You know, a text that's taken out of context can often be made into a pretext. We always need to see who is speaking, who is being spoken to, and then we begin to gain some idea of what the meaning of the text is. And so if we back up to the beginning of John chapter 3, we find that Jesus is in a nighttime interview with a very prominent and a very important man by the name of Nicodemus. It starts out in verse 1 saying, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Three things are told to us about this man at the very beginning. First of all, we're told that he was a Pharisee. I don't know if you knew this, but there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees in all Israel. So not only is he a Pharisee, he's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and you may be unaware of this, but Nicodemus was a very famous name in Jerusalem. There was a Nicodemus before this one and a Nicodemus after this one, and scholars believe that it was actually uh, the father of Nicodemus, this Nicodemus, and then his son, all of them highly honored and respected in the Jewish world because of their religious devotion. On top of this, we're told that he was a ruler of the Jews, which tells us he was one of 70 rulers of the Jews called the Sanhedrin. They were considered the supreme court of Israel, the supreme law of the land. So a very prominent guy here coming to the Lord Jesus by night. It says this man came to Jesus by night and he says, Rabbi, there were three ways that you could approach a religious teacher at that time. You could call him Rav, we would say Rab, the first part of the word rabbi, Rav, and that was a term of high respect. If you want to step up one level, then you say rabbi, and that's the term that he uses for the Lord Jesus. And then there's the highest level, and that is Rabboni. And so he gives Jesus quite a distinction, at least he thinks, starting out saying, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do what? These signs. See, Nicodemus is focused on what do these works tell us about you? No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him and Jesus cuts him off. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus didn't have time for chit-chat. He went straight to the issue. And the issue is, Nicodemus, you are highly regarded, highly respected. You're considered a theologian. He's about to call him the teacher of Israel. In other words, he was considered the most scholarly, educated, famous teacher in the entire land. And Jesus said, you're not even born again. We have a lot of scholars in this country like that. We have a lot of professors in Bible college like that. We have a lot of pastors standing in pulpits like that. They have a lot, but they don't have the key. They can tell you all about the door. They can tell you all about how it was made. They can tell you all about what's on the other side. It's very difficult. I don't know if you uh, listen to many people, but you know, I hear the gospel sometimes given and I just cringe because by the time they get done, who would know what you're supposed to do? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And they'll give you an hour dissertation and you, at the end of it, you're going, so I do what? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And I'm gonna just kind of tell the story for you. 
Jesus is going to use physical terms with spiritual meanings, just in the same way that his signs had a spiritual message. Look at verse 5. Nicodemus is confused. He asks how a man can be born when he's old. He can't get beyond the physical. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, all kinds of theological discussion about what water means. But I think it's best to take this in its simplest term. Nicodemus is thinking in physical terms. Jesus is trying to get him into spiritual terms. And the water is referring to physical birth. Spirit, of course, is referring to regeneration or what we call being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is still talking on this line, contrasting the natural with the spiritual and eternal. And he says, do not marvel. And I said, you must be born again. Now he uses another physical illustration with a spiritual meaning. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus again confused says, how can these things be? Now he's asked the right question. How? If someone's confused about entering eternal life and they ask you how, you've got the door flung wide open. And Nicodemus just opened the door. How? I can't contemplate. I can't comprehend. It, it's beyond my capacity. A little bit of sarcasm maybe in verse 10 when Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You are the elite, most renowned, most honored, most recognized teacher of Israel. And you don't even know the most fundamental, basic thing about the spiritual life. He says in verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, you say what earthly things? Physical birth, blowing wind. He's using those physical illustrations to lead him to a spiritual understanding. He said, if you don't believe the physical things, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Think of this, Jesus sitting on earth says the Son of Man's in heaven. Wrestle with that one for a while in your mind talking about the omnipresence of God and then he uses an illustration that Nicodemus should have been very familiar with as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life Whoever believes in him should not perish. The story here in verses 14 and 15 comes from Numbers 21. Pray where the children of Israel did what the children of Israel always did, complain, moan, whine. So God sent fiery serpents among them and they were getting bitten and dying and they came to Moses and confessed their sin. And they said, pray to God that he'll deliver us. And he said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. Anyone that looks at it will live. If they don't want to look at it, they're going to die, right? 1,500 years before Christ. It was a picture of his crucifixion. Those serpents that were killing them were symbolized by the serpent on the pole. Your sins and my sins that have been killing us were symbolized when Jesus Christ became sin for us. The scripture says God made him become sin for us 
though he knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. How? By faith in him. And it's in that context that Jesus now says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So simple.